there's a much better approach is just working out consistently for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks than letting your body go to hell, getting a role, getting a photo shoot, whatever, and going, okay, for the next 12 weeks, it's like, I'm going to work out for eight hours a day, right? Because generally that ends poorly. It's just that mundane consistency, that mundane discipline. It's, I mean, all the magic happens in that realm of mundane, right? And, and the promise of magic outside of that, the exciting stuff is really just smoke and mirrors. Listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm AJ Meyer. And I'm Trevor Algott. And coming up today in episode 307, part two of my conversation with the godfather of the modern day intermittent fasting movement and the author of the seminal book, Eat Stop Eat, Brad Pilon. In part two today, we dig into the nuts and bolts of intermittent fasting, the various methods, how and why fasting works, fasting and exercise, and a few tricks to help get you started and keep you going, plus a couple more little bonus things. It's all coming at you right now in episode 307. Stay with us. Support for this episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by Rehearsal Pro, the current version of Rehearsal, the essential app for actors. And it's now available in the iOS app store. So if you want to learn your lines, be off book for your auditions, explore your character, make stronger, bolder choices, and do a bunch more, go to rehearsal.pro slash IAP right now to learn about all the cool new features in the newest version of Rehearsal, the groundbreaking app designed by actors for actors. That's rehearsal.pro slash IAP. Good morrow, sir. So are you back in LA now? I am. Yes. Have been for uh, a week or so. Uh, things are good. How'd it go up there? It went well. It went well. I mean, uh, yeah, sourced a guitar and, and made all that happen and, um, you know, uh, drove back that uh that drive is is tough on uh tough on cars we had uh we had a little issue cars in the shop uh last oh, no. time what <laughs> Same happened? Thing happened last year um we got some kind of error message on the on the thing and all 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 modern cars whether it's a tesla or not have have computers built into them kind of running the show and um i got an error like as if it was my you know computer um so there's some issue with the transmission fun times uh, it was fine though; it drove fine. But it's just funny that that a year later, um, same trip, uh, car issues again. But last time we had to like completely like get we had to say goodbye entirely to the car. So this time I think it's just going to be uh, some kind of maintenance, and then we'll be back on our feet here, on our wheels, as it were. All right, all right. Do you guys have a rental or anything in the meantime, or are you going to be biking, busing, walking your way around LA? You know, fortunately, my sister is actually in New York right now, and so we have her car. So, uh, good timing, I guess. Rock on. You've got a little bit of a story this week. Uh, you passed on an audition because uh, it would significantly impact your bottom line from your thrival job. Is that right? Yeah, it, it was tough. I, I sort of tortured myself a bit. Um, 
for a number of different reasons. You know, we don't want our representation to feel like we're, you know, too good for a job or, you know, don't want to take a job because of the money, because obviously they don't make money unless we make money in acting anyway. But I got another audition for the role of Judd in Oklahoma, which is something I have always wanted to take a crack at. I think it's, um, I think when that show is really well directed and, and well produced and well acted, it, it doesn't have to be as cheesy as it, as its reputation, um, suggests, but, um, and it was at this really reputable, um, musical theater theater in, um, in Maine, um, that, and they audition out of New York uh, all the time. So this came out, came from my, um, my New York agents, but, um, but you know, after taxes and, and commissions and everything, I would, I would be making about half of what I make at, at my thrival job. So, and, and, and lose my thrival job in, in, the, in the meantime, I'd have to sort of come back and get rehired and, you know, it just is not, it just not, would not have been worth it. Um, you know, and, and it's tough, but I set out, you know, at the beginning of this year to pay off all of my credit card debt by the end of the year. And, um, March was a, a rough month. <clears throat> I didn't get very far ahead. So I feel, I feel behind. I have a weekly goal and, um, I only hit it one of the four weeks of, of March. Um, but that means I've only missed three weeks of the entire year cause I've hit it every other week. So, um, so, you know, I got a, I got some sort of makeup to do in April and it's just, you know, looking at that, I'm like, I don't think I can swing this. Um, you know, uh, and I, and I have this goal in mind by the end of the year. So, but, but like I said, a combination of a bunch of different things, but I thought it might be an interesting conversation for the, for the podcast. Cause I'm sure there's tons of people out there who go through this, um, <clears throat> go through this, uh, this decision-making process. Yeah. There's, there's really something to unpack here because on the one hand you went to school to do musical theater, you know I mean? This is, and this is presumably the reason you live in one of the more expensive cities in the country and, you know, have the lifestyle and the, the, um, I don't know, um, jobs plural that you do, uh, yeah. and, and not like, you know, a, a career in something that's going to make you, you know, 10 times the money. So like th this is, this is more or less your guiding life purpose. And yet you are choosing to pass up on, on, uh, opportunities to do it, to do what you've been trained to do, to do what you've oriented your entire life around because you're, you're opting for stability uh, and a little bit more of the, the long view of, um, of staying in the game, you know, as, as a mature adult rather than somebody who drops everything at every opportunity. Yeah, well, I, I mean, w one, an argument could be made that what I wouldn't be making in money would be made up by, made up for by the fact that I'm beginning to do my dream, you know, live, living, being paid to be an actor. Like there's that, there's something that's not quantifiable there. Um, that you can't put a, a, a dollar amount on. So your, your point is, 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 you know, well heard in terms of this is, you know, what I went to school for. And it's not, that's why, like I said, I sort of tortured myself for a few days because that's not, it's not the easiest decision to say like, you know what, I, I can't not right now, like not now is not the right time. I mean, the thing is, is like, if, you know, if I, if I accomplish my goal this year, 
And the only debt that I'm carrying around with me is uh, student loan debt instead of, you know, um, the debt from paying off joining, you know, my, my SAG after initiation fee and my credit card debt and all this stuff. That's a, that's a, that's a different story. You know, that, that significantly reduces by probably two thirds my monthly, um, expenses. So, you know, that's, a, that's, I'm, my, my point is I'm sort of sacrificing a bit in 2018. Um, and not, you know, everything I'm still, you know, going out on hikes and I want to do a couple overnight backpacking trips and I want to, you know, we're going to, to, um, Tahoe, Lake Tahoe on vacation in, in May. So I'm not, I'm not depriving myself of, of, of everything, but I am, you know, taking all of these things into account and making sure that I'm being fiscally responsible in order to crush this 2018 goal. And maybe that means that 2019 will be a completely different ball game. It'll just be a different outlook. If I, if I am not, you know, if I'm spending cash on everything, which has kind of been my, my goal and my, um, the way that I've been able to get this all sort of under control, that's a completely different, um, feeling and a completely different, um, financial foundation to, to make decisions from, you know what I mean? Mm, Yeah. I think the key, the key takeaway from me that you just shared is not right now. Like you're, you're changing up your strategy so that you can bring your fullest self to your work in the future. And, and it's, it's so easy to lose sight of the fact that this is the long game. This is a, this is not something that's like, oh my God, if I miss this one job, I'll never work again. I mean, there are opportunities. (laughs) I used to feel that way. Yeah. And there are opportunities coming down the pike all the time. I mean, there are always going to be opportunities, even if you're like an A-list actor and you just you know, blow it on a, on a film. Like you've still got a pretty healthy career doing B-list movies. Now you may not enjoy that, uh, to the same degree, but you're still going to be able to work. I mean, the work, especially in, in, in era of Netflix and Amazon prime and Hulu. I mean, there are like something like 700 plus shows I've read that Netflix is shows and, and productions. I mean, comedy specials and documentaries and whatnot, but like 700 that there are negotiations for, for 2018, 2019. 700, wow. 700. There's more work out there right now than ever, than yeah. ever. So it's like, and you've still got live theater and you've got commercials and you've got audiobooks and voiceover. It is a great time to be alive and to be a performer. So, so foregoing an opportunity in the interest of making yourself stronger to more uh, solidly uh, tackle your career in the future, I think is a really uh, awesome, awesome thing. Yeah. And there, there's, there are career, you know, since you're, since you're bringing up the the career side of things, there are career considerations as well. Like it's not necessarily, like I said, very reputable theater, very reputable theater. And who knows who from the sort of Broadway or New York community might go out to, to see it, but it's not super high visible, you know, highly visible in terms of, um, you know, the, the the probability of work beginning work from this is lower than it might be at some other, you know, space. So, you know, 
everything has to be taken into account is all I'm saying. And, um, and the career part of it, you know, which you just spoke into is, is, a, is a part of that as well. Well, it brings to mind the, uh, the four questions. I think it was Uta Hagen's four questions. We haven't talked about this in like years, but yeah, it's been a while, but, uh, what are they again? It's like, uh, is it good for your, will it be good for your career? Um, will it be good for your craft? Will you make money? Will you have fun? And if you can answer yes to two of the four, you should probably do it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we ever found the attribution. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I, I don't know that we did I either. think it's Uda, but I don't, I, I don't think we ever actually figured it out. Um, yeah. Because I feel, I feel like, like you said, it's been a couple of years. I, I have this memory of a listener reaching out and being like, I tried looking it up and I can't find anything on Uta Hagen's, you know, <laughs> saying those four. So anyway. Right. Um, Somebody wise said it. Yeah, yeah. If you know where it came from, uh, please uh, do reach out. Yeah. All right. Cool, man. Well, congratulations on uh, on making a strategic uh, long game choice. That's that's really mm. inspiring. Thank you. That's that yeah. uh, means a lot coming from, especially from you, from somebody who has uh, uh, been so um, you know financially like you you've educated yourself really well on on finances and. Um, I've always, uh, respected that about you and, and looked up to you as far as that stuff goes. <laughs> Thanks. I, I, um, hmm, I appreciate that. I, I think knowing, <laughs> knowing things and acting on them are completely different. <laughs> um, but, uh, I, I've, I've endeavored to, uh, walk the talk when it comes to responsible, you know, fiscal responsibility, uh, personal responsibility. So uh, thank you. I'm glad that you have that impression. <laughs> I'm glad that I'm fooling you. <laughs> yeah, basically. Support for this episode uh, of Inside Acting is also brought to you in part by VO2GoGo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and the winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best Voiceover Training four years in a row. Visit VO2GoGo.com slash start to get access to a free getting started in voiceover online class that will help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio, to your set of skills, to your set of money-making workable, marketable skills as an actor and performer and artist. That's V-O, the number two, gogo.com slash start. And uh, I think that's basically it, Is if, unless you have anything else before we jump into this interview with Brad. No, man. Okay, rock on. So uh, last week, guys, I realized, you know, Brad and I were just, we just hit it off so so well and so quickly that I, I, I kind of slipped up on like in properly introducing intermittent fasting and eat, stop, eat and everything that he does. And so finally, in this segment, we really get down to the nitty gritty of what he's best known for, which is intermittent fasting, specifically uh, a specific protocol uh, that he calls Eat, Stop, Eat. But we, we talk about sort of what happens and why it happens and how to make it happen more consistently uh, when it comes to essentially just limiting your calorie intake, but in a really sustainable and healthy way. And so we get a little science nerdy, you know, biophysical stuff, but it's nothing that's too over people's heads, I don't think. So really hope you enjoy hearing uh, from Brad on some of the specifics when it comes to intermittent fasting in this segment today. Enjoy, and we'll catch you on the other side.
million different diets uh, over the years, and I've read a ton about this stuff. And it's fun to be able to sort of approach it with authority and notice things in your body or in the way you respond to different things and go like, oh, well, this is probably what's happening here. But what I've found over the years is that I really don't know anything because sometimes you know, A doesn't equal or doesn't lead to B. Sometimes A leads to, you know, 467. So it's, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. And that's where your work comes in with intermittent fasting, which I love so much because it, it, it removes a lot of that sort of sciencey stuff. And it just gets down to like, look, food is about tradition. It's about fuel. It's about enjoyment. It's about a, a bunch of different things. And really, it's something that people have been dealing with for all of human history. And the human body, the our biology was forged in a, a an environment of scarcity uh, a lot of the time, and so so it was built to go uh, stretches of time without eating. In fact, it's quite healthy, from what I understand. So uh, there's a lot of different fasting protocols. This is a big thing right now. Um, you know, yeah, there's like this huge, yeah, the yeah. warrior diet and lean gains and alternate day fasting. The five two diet is one that I've uh, that I enjoy a lot, and that's that's closest to eat stop eat really. The five two yeah, diet. Yeah, the, the, actually, I. Um... I did a big long interview with the five two diet people for the before the five two diet came out, so that that was fun. Yeah, yeah, they reference you quite a bit in their book. Yeah, which which I appreciate. That was that was really nice of them. The um, yeah, and the only basic difference there is the five two diet is you fast um, twice a week, so one day a week you fast, but you still eat during that fast, just a, a smaller amount. I think it's like it's a specific amount for men and women. I'm going to say three hundred for women, six hundred for men, and I know I'm yeah it. it Five hundred for women and six hundred for men. It's supposed to be like twenty five percent or so of your, yeah, of your normal like calorie intake. Yeah. So then the, the the slight difference there with the eat stop eat you you don't eat at all, but you you fast for a twenty four hour period, but never a whole day. So if you and I were to start fasting right now, let's say it's two p.m., we would fast till tomorrow at two p.m. So we fast for twenty four hours, but not for a full day. Every day you eat. Um, with five two, you fast for a day. Which, if you think about it, depending on how long you slept before and how long you sleep after, is 36-ish hours, we'll just say. So it's actually a longer fasting period, but they throw in five or 600 calories worth of food in that period. So, Which technically breaks the fast, doesn't it? It does. It, I mean, it still causes weight loss. It's still a right. low, low calorie intake, but it's, not, it's almost intermittent dieting. Right. right? Mm, Which, again, yeah. is just... You know, the, um, fasting was popular, so we're going to call it fasting, obviously. But in that, you know, in in their defense, they called it the five two diet, right? Not five two fasting. So right. just sort of play off it. But so with eat stop eat, my approach is, I mean, since it was written in late '06, was a twenty four hour fast once or twice a week. The fast is divided between two days. So, like I said, two p.m. to two p.m. As an example, it could be seven p.m. to seven p.m. Could be ten a.m. to ten a.m. And then when you're Right before that fast, you don't do anything special, right? You don't pre-eat some magical fasting meal. And the minute the fast is done, you pretend it never happened. So if we end our fast tomorrow at 2, whatever it is you would normally eat at around 2 is what you eat. You don't eat a 1,000 calories to make up for your fast. If, if that was a time you normally just grab a tea or coffee with a muffin, that's what you do. If you have a shake at that time, that's what you do. And so what you're trying to do is is take that – two 24 hours worth of calories and minus them from your week. Now, you're not going to be perfect at it. You're, you're probably going to eat a bit more after your fast, you, but it's going to be still a deficit. So you've taken a week's worth of dieting, hopefully, and squished it into two 24-hour periods. So on all the other days, 
you get to eat like a normal human being, right? You're not at a dinner saying, actually, you know, I can't have, I can only have the steak or, or I can only have the bread. I don't know what the bread diet. Um, when your aunt's, your, your, let me think, your cousin's getting married, right? Then it's, you just don't fast on that day and you eat the meals provided to you, right? You're not the person at the wedding staring at the wedding cake being like, I can't, I can't have it. Right, you plan for it, and so it just allowed for just a massive amount of flexibility that a lot of the other fasting regimens don't have. Now, um, lean gains or or sixteen eight or the warrior diet are all very similar, where it's daily fasting for for roughly sixteen hours, and it depends. I mean, to say lean gains is just fasting is, is kind of a discredit to the work that Martin, the guy who designed it, has done because it really is a fasting protocol plus a dieting protocol plus a workout protocol, right? But so in general, the fasting he uses as part of lean gains um, is sort of a 16-hour fast. If, if you do the math um, and you count that most people fast, let's say for eight to nine hours a night while they're sleeping, um, you find that with ESOP eat two 24-hour fasts a week plus your normal fast at night, still comes out to be a bit less fasting per week than a typical 16-8 protocol, right? So you're still doing a bit more fasting. Um, so you might get a bit quicker results with a 16-8. The problem is uh, your life is pretty regimented, right? So you are definitely not eating every day before two. So if you're like me and love breakfast or, or like having the, you know, the ability to have a mimosa when the, the time arises, um, that can be fairly limiting. So I liked Eatsop Eats design of, of flexibility, right? So it's two fasts on whatever freaking days you want, as opposed to fasting every single day. Uh, results will be similar, um, but generally you're gonna find that one will suit your personality and lifestyle better than the other at any given time, right? So you might start off being like, I am 100% eat, sub eat, this is awesome. And then five years later be like, no, the regimented style now is what fits for me. And then you might flip back. It's completely dependent, but they generally all accomplish the same thing, which is the simplicity and ease of instead of worrying about what you should eat, you just say, screw it, I'm not eating anything for a period of time. <laughs> Yeah, I love that in, in Eat Stop Eat at one point you say something like all these companies, all these supplement companies, all these diet books, they're all telling us what to eat, but nobody's talking about not eating. And like, yeah, it's crazy. Well, because know. there's no money in not eating. Right, right? exactly. It's, yeah, yeah. You know, if, yeah. if I could do it over again, if I was a bit more of a ass than I already am, I would have put in a 200 calorie diet of my supplement or something, right? Like, but just to make some money off the idea, because there isn't much to do with fasting after you tell someone, all right, so don't eat. And that's it. Right, right. Right. So yeah, so it, it really simplifies it. And getting all the way back, I mean, for for in an interesting proof of concept, I can tell you that whether it's a 16-hour fast or a 24-hour fast, that with 100% confidence, I can tell you you're going to lose weight during that fasting period because you are not consuming any carbon, right? But you're still alive, which means you're breathing out. So you're losing non-water body weight during that period of time. So if you're not losing the weight you want while taking part in any intermittent fasting protocol, the issue isn't the fasting, it's what you're doing in between the fasts. It's how much carbon you're replacing in your body. So it really is a foolproof, 100% effective method of weight loss. You still, the only unfortunate part of it is you do still have to eat. And then when you do eat, you have to be responsible. Right. So Yeah, and that's the, that's the tough part, right? Like I, the, the first couple times I... I 
tried my eat stop eat sort of journey uh it was tough i i uh, i got headaches i got cranky you know i went through i think a lot of the hangriness that people experience and you know i started having second thoughts am i hurting myself is this is this safe so i two questions for you number one is um what's happening to the body hormonally or under the hood when you are foregoing food for uh, a, you know a relatively short period of time in a grand scheme of things but what can feel like an eternity when you're in it and then number 2 when you break your fast and you you know eat as you would normally eat that's easier said than done like I, i'm i'm definitely the guy who's like bring on the pancakes it's time to eat you know so so uh maybe maybe that's the second part of it but i'm curious uh, how how you might uh, recommend people stick to that so so the first part what's happening under the hood when you when you stop eating for for 20 to 24 hours all right so depending on the size of the meal you ate uh in the preceding hours before the fast for the first couple of hours for the fast whether it's four hours or let's say eight hours uh, you are still digesting and using the components of your food for your metabolism. Wow. So for four to eight hours, you're you're still in a fed state. Yeah, which is ridiculous because if you're anything like me, I can sometimes start a fast and be starving like an hour and a half into it. I'm like, I literally yeah. just ate. Like, I, there's, I'm not actually fasting yet. Like, so, <laughs> but, and then what, what happens is you slowly from there, you start moving into what's called the fasted state. So you're, you've been fasting for four to six hours, but you're in the fasted state, let's say, after that. And that's when the supply of, of nutrients and energy and building blocks from your food has dwindled. But your body's still doing stuff. So it's like, all right, we got to use our backups here. We got to use our stores. And your body slowly moves into a, um, a metabolism that's predominantly uses fat and since you're not eating fat it's using your body fat right and so your body fat starts to get released from all your awesome body fat stores and you know your rolls and whatever and those fats are then broken down and when they're broken down those carbons are, are used to build whatever your body needs to build and then when you exhale that's what you're exhaling so it, it moves from predominantly food-based metabolism to a predominantly body fat based metabolism you're still doing all the same stuff right like you're still a, a live moving human being it's just you're switching fuel sources and i i think and there's some evidence to suggest that this happens but it's not you know complete evidence but some people ha have a bit of a harder time with that switchover it needs to be kind of learned if you've been in the fed state for the last 20 years of your life you know because you've you know, you ate right before you got went to bed. You ate right up when you got up from bed, and you ate all day. You know, learning to kind of switch over uh, tends to be difficult. Uh, it, the term is is metabolic flexibility, and uh, the first person I knew to talk about it was uh, Mike Nelson, and uh, he really sort of looked into this idea that some people just switch over faster, or I guess more smoothly than others, and so that's why some people have a bit of a hard time. You know, in that six to eight hour window of their fast where they do get kind of cranky kind of pissy kind of lightheaded yeah. right but, but it just, gets it, it gets easier the more you do it i've found it does and i think yeah. you learn with practice and you get smart so for me if, if 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 your hard part is let's say roughly seven to ten hours in your fast well the reason esop beat is divided between two days is i want you to be asleep during that hard part then mm. so you sleep through the hardest part which is which is you know I love sleeping through anything. It's difficult. It's perfect. <laughs> so, yeah. And so that's what's happening. Like from a complete physiology point of view, everything is is happening. You know, insulin is going down. Growth hormone is going up. 
for the express purpose of switching you over to metabolism based on using your fat stores as an energy source, a fuel source, and a, I guess, a building blocks source, mm, right? So, yeah. You know, people like to talk about their, you know, it, you're either building or you're not, and it's not entirely true. I mean, when you're fasting, your hair is still growing, your toenails are still growing, you're still, enzymes are being broken down and built back up, stuff, stuff's just still happening, right? So it's all fueled by uh, your body fat because it's, it's the fuel that's available for that express purpose. And then you stop fasting, uh, you do the exact same switchover, but in reverse. So you are in a largely fat-based metabolism. Then you introduce food. Your body kind of does a, what the hell? Okay, fine, right? And then it, it has a couple hours of an odd switchover. And then you're just back into a food-based metabolism. But you're no dummy, and you know that you've eaten less. You know that a deficit has been made, and you would prefer to refill that deficit, right? So... As you're refilling that deficit, you, uh, or as you're fighting against the urge to refuel that deficit, you know, you have a bit of a mental battle. And again, like you, you pointed out, it, it is learned and it gets easier. But you got to remind yourself that you just spent 24 hours not eating for a reason. And the reason wasn't so that you could eat an entire bag of Oreos when you were done and cancel the whole thing out, right? So you do have to go back and I like to just really imagine the fast never happened and just eat like you normally would. And if you conquer that, then you're you're on your way to some pretty good long-term weight loss. Uh, if you can't, you know, if, if, you, if you literally can't do that, then there's a couple tricks. So the first one is to play with your start and stop time of your fast, right? Like my, my wife really likes fasting from 10 a.m. to 10 a.m., which I think is just completely crazy. Uh, <laughs> I used to fast 7 p.m. to 7 p.m., but then that got really hard, so now I fast 2 p.m. to 2 p.m. seems to be my kind of sweet zone. Um, but it, and that number is going to change. So just because, you know, 10 a.m. to 10 a.m. worked for you for the last six months doesn't mean it's going to you know be the best one for you now. So you kind of have to play that out. Uh, the other thing is, like we talked about before when we were talking about thin air, is maybe just going for a walk or getting active, right? Doing something exciting. Um, my buddy of mine, John Barbin, likes to say, he's like, I doubt anybody who jumps out of an airplane skydiving for the first time in the first three seconds is like, oh, I am kind of digging a burger king. Yeah. Because right? <laughs> yeah. you're, you're so overloaded with stimulus. The last thing you're thinking about is like, I need some fries, right? So it's just keep active, keep entertained, right? And then sort of just really remind yourself to eat responsibly that there is no magic that there isn't a magic food you're going to eat after your fast to make it work even better and that you know even if there's a one percent chance there is a magic food that makes it better chance the 99 percent chances that's not the food you're putting in your mouth right now right so if you just kind of give up on the magic of it and just be like oh as boring and ridiculous as it sounds just sort of consistency and responsibility is is what's going to win the game here as mundane as that is that tends to be what works for the majority of people out there yeah yeah and i, I want to talk briefly about um this process that that apparently happens when you're fasting that's been getting a lot of sort of attention especially among like the silicon valley types which is and correct me if i'm saying this incorrectly but autophagy autophagy right so uh, yeah i added in the autophagy chapter um to eat stop eat I think not in the edition you had, but maybe the 2011 or 12 edition. And um, I actually, if you if you dig really hard, you'll find the interviews where I called it autophagy. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, awesome, awesome. Anyway, so I added it in, and because it, it was an area of interest, and I was trying to explain to the people the the recycling that goes on, right? Mm, yeah. The fact 
like you do break things down this is fascinating to me by the way this this whole part of it yeah well because everybody was like but what about the catabolism and what about the breakdown and and i'm saying yes that's a good part it's super important so i added in the autophagy chapter i kind of i got lambasted by a good friend of mine for adding it in he's like you this is going to become so big and people don't really understand what you're saying and he was right um because it, it took off and it became really a big speaking point because it's complex right but really if you want to dumb it down to something that's really understandable it's that the catabolism and breakdown of your body that happens during a fast is a good thing it is housekeeping it's kind of like that awesome feeling for anybody who owns a home and is, you know, a bit of a hoarder of buying a giant bin and just cleaning out your garage and just chucking stuff. And it's just that awesome feeling of getting rid of stuff or recycling stuff or finding new uses for stuff. And that's what your body does. And so the, the process of autophagy is really the, the breakdown of things that you don't need anymore. It's getting rid of the dead weight, the bad relationships, all you know, whatever you want to, <laughs> yeah. you know. All the stuff that just makes minimalists proud, right? It's right. just you don't need. <laughs> but then also, you know, being a good environmental recycling type person, taking things, breaking them down, and being like, ah, oh, huh, I can use this and make a new part of a liver or a kidney. You know, it's just, it's a constant recycling. But if you're never in a fasted state, and if you're always in a surplus, and if you're never exercising, then this isn't happening to as large a degree. I mean, it's still happening, but just not to the same degree. And so the argument is, is we are somewhat deficient in this breakdown, this autophagy, this catabolism, uh, in the place of a constantly expanding anabolism, which is just the you know, basic gaining of junk we don't need, like excess body fat and the rest. But that the, the ability of the fast to kind of let that catabolism happen is the, the, I mean, the original reason I put it in Eat, Stop, Eat was just to explain that that catabolism is a good thing because everybody was so worried about, but, you know, I'm going to lose muscle. And I'm like, well, no, you're using a small amount of protein from tons of sources, not just your muscle. But this is a good thing. You're getting rid of the, you know, the proteins that may be slightly twisted or, or mal um, built at this time and they're just being broken down and replaced with new ones that you get when you start eating again right and so that's all I was trying to do but it really turned into something much bigger than that is that it made that area just infinitely interesting to really kind of break it down it's just saying that the idea of catabolism the idea of a little bit of wasting you know and it's not just your muscle right the proteins come from all over your body but is a fundamental part of human metabolism i mean if you want to imagine a yin and yang of uh physiology it's it's, it's breakdown and building and they both are and it's not one side or the other they're kind of constantly fluxing and it's so just making sure that maybe that part is running smoothly, the diagnostics part, right? And that's that's what I thought was really interesting aspect of fasting is we're reframing the idea of catabolism not necessarily being a bad thing, but a good thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, my my experience of it when I when I fast, I I've, I know that I'm in like the right spot when uh, a couple things happen. Uh, number one, and you talk about this in the book, my fingers and toes get pretty cold. In fact, my whole body temperature, I kind of get cold. Um, and I think that's a symptom of your body shifting to a fat burning fuel source. Is that is that right? It's a bit. Um, a couple of different things happen. Um, what you're seeing there is a predominant move of blood flow up more towards areas of uh, fat. 
right? So you've got, you don't really have fat toes and fat fingers. Um, so it, you don't know me, Brad. You don't know me, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you just snatched the keyboard. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so you, you tend to have the, the, the idea is there's more fat flow to your, your fat source, sorry, more blood flow to your fat sources as that is where the fuel is now coming from. And then, then it's being sort of pushed back out from there. So yeah, it does happen. Um, and I don't think it's a, a, a good predictor of your metabolic rate. Like some people like to be, my, my fingers are getting cold, so my metabolism's slowing down. And you're going, no, it's not. It's, you're still breathing, you're good, right? Like it's, you're still all right. But it is something that does happen. Um, a really easy way to get around that if it's not comfortable is again, just like a 10 minute walk. You're just, just get active for 10 minutes, it's not an issue anymore. Yeah, I find the same thing. I'll, I'll sip a lot of like hot water throughout the day to sort of help with that. I'll, I'll, and of course, I'll stay active. I'll start moving around if it gets really bad. But another interesting thing that happens is that I find that I my mind at a certain point gets super sharp. It's like my hearing and my eyesight and my thinking all sort of graduate to this sort of superhuman level almost. And, I, and my theory is that this happens because if we hearken back to the days where like, you know, we're on the savannah and we're without food for a day or two, like our body wants to rally the troops. Like being hangry is not an evolutionarily supportive like way to react to hunger. Like that that's not gonna help us go out and find new food. But if the body rallies the troops, starts recycling all the old damaged cells, cleaning house inside, and then funneling its resources to you know, uh, hearing, sight, thinking, focus, things like that, then it's much more likely to find food. Is that sort of more or less what, what you think is happening there? It would be, it would be the, the theory to explain what's happening, um, or at least a guess as to why it, it may be sort of ingrained in, in our genetics or why it happens. Um, what is happening, that what you're describing does um, show up in research, right? So people do find that there is um, an increased concentration, and I believe recall. I'd have to go back through the actual research. So in in um, different measures of alertness, you tend to see an increase when you are fasted and a decrease when you are fed. Um, it's slightly different, interestingly, in, in children. You get all that research um, supporting breakfast, most of it done on children, showing they tend to learn better um, after having a good breakfast. But it's a bit skewed by um, socioeconomic status, stuff like that. The kids who tend to have good breakfast also tend to come from good homes. The kids who don't have good bre uh, eat breakfast, you know, when you're talking seven, eight, nine-year-olds, a lot of them aren't doing it because they're trying to lose weight, but they're doing it because breakfast wasn't actually available. Right. right so, yeah. uh, and that could be, you know, and not to uh, belittle those parents, it might simply because depending on where you live, your kid might have an hour and a half bus ride to school. And so, you know, you had to get them out the door. But generally for adults, it does seem to see there is an, an increased level of alertness and concentration during fasting, not during the whole fast, because there will be periods of time where you're just sitting there going like, I am brain dead right now. But I don't know if that's the fasting or just if you had been eating at that exact same time, you'd still be brain dead because we all have those brain dead periods of time during the day, regardless. Right. So it might just be that you're having less of them when you're, you're fasting. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. Now um, I, I know we have a limited time, so I just have a few more questions before I, I let you go, but uh, fasting and athletes. Uh, I tend, I, I, I swim competitively uh, for a master's team out here in LA. I'm in the water or the gym six to seven days a week. 
And sometimes I wonder if my fasts are harming my, uh, I don't know, gains, I suppose. Interesting. Okay, so for an athletic point of view, uh, I find it really interesting because the, the couple things I toy with is, and swimming would be one of them, is swimming is a sport not unlike, let's say, climbing, where it's very important to have a strength to weight ratio, right? So in a fasted state, as long as your glycogen and fat stores are there to fuel the muscles for the period of time that you need to use them for, then having a Big Mac and fries sitting in your stomach while you're trying to swim, that's, you know, close to a pound and a half more weight than you would need to normally have dragging around with you. So I would wondering if you if it would be possible to actually use the fast um, to your advantage in that way. I also think with athletes, um, especially uh, high performance athletes, we tend to crutch on nutrition, right? We, we get a lot of high performance athletes, whether they wanted to admit it or not, are creatures of habit and luck and routine and rituals. And so I like the idea of every once in a while fasting. We did this with rugby players and that kind of stuff. And it just, you play fasted. Like I know you always have exactly 6.4 ounces of Gatorade <laughs> and that's part of your routine. Yeah. I want you to do that. I want you to play fasted because honestly, if you can like destroy that guy over there fasted, then you can probably do it fit. Mm. Right. And yeah. so I like the psychological benefit of, of training athletes fed and unfed. I like the occasional sport where um, there may actually be a performance benefit to it, and, and like a swimming or a rock climbing, thing like that. And then when it comes to actual gains, there, I mean, again, if we want to go deep into it, there's so much going on with a muscle remodeling. Um, it, it starts with inflammation into satellite cell activation, those satellite cells then enter the, the muscle and fuse, become new myelonuclei, which means means more domain. It's so complicated, and it takes a long time. So it's not just I lifted weights, then I had a burger, and now I'm getting bigger, right? And it takes longer than that. So if you trained, even though you were fasted, and then after that training, you know, within a couple hours, you're eating again, well, the, the damage and the metabolic effect your training had is still sitting there. Right. And so once you provide your body with the substrate that needs to, to do what it needs to do, it's still going to do it. You may have delayed it an hour, but it's still going to do it. And so, you know, with the exception of maybe training, then fasting for 48 hours and then eating a suboptimal diet and, you know, get dumb stuff like that. But as long as there's some sense of responsibility and common sense to it, you know, you, you, you can't live like a, a cokehead rock star and the same gains as your buddy who's not doing that right and so i think it comes down to that i think of the you know a good night's sleep proper rest and recovery and then you know some sort of responsible nutrition is not just unlike eating normally it's is is enough for your body to do what it needs to do yeah 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 i try to do my my longer fast on you know the one the one day off or or a lighter day that uh, that i have during the week but what i find uh, it seems to work for me is that i'll just i i almost always train fasted whenever i can help it i just have a much better workout i find and if i'm if i'm like super hurting before a workout and i just need something i'll usually just have some fruit uh usually like some dates or a banana or an apple or or all of the above because they don't tend to sit in the stomach too long and they the muscles can use that right away 
from what I understand. And that, that, that seems to help. But what I've found hurts in the long term is uh, turning to like pre-workout formulas or, or caffeinated things uh, and becoming really reliant on those because I find that my hormones get all screwy after a while. My sleep gets screwy and my, my gut health feels weird. You're a weird thing, especially the, the ones that are heavily caffeine or stimulant based because um, like anybody who's, who's used a stimulant would kind of get is you get used to them. So then you need more and you get used to them and then you need more. So you're in a constant battle of just slightly more and then you spend the rest of your day irritable just so you can get that one extra rep in your workout i mean i'm i'm sensitive enough that i i mean I'm, i i i hate having a schedule but i'm a, a, a creature of habit and routine so i will have two espressos every morning they're divided but that's that's my basic coffee intake and they have to be before noon and if they are after noon let's say i decide to have another espresso at like three or four or five something crazy like that um, I'm a dick at night. I just, <laughs> and I'm just, just a little short tempered. I guess that's a, a lie. I'm more short tempered. <laughs> Sorry. You know, and so everybody's just a bit more sensitive to those things. So that doesn't help me pre-workout, but I'm more like you just a little bit of food if I need it, but I generally prefer training fasted as well. Um, a common misconception there is the glycogen, which is a sugar that's stored in your muscle to be used as a fuel source, you, that's just for that muscle. So the glycogen stored in your bicep is just for that bicep. So if you've been fasting for 24 hours, your liver glycogen might be low, and that's the glycogen that supplies your blood and your body. That left bicep's still chock full. It's not going to share. It's a dick. It's like, no, this is mine. right? Wow. So yeah, so it, basically you're topped up and ready to go. You could be 24 hours into a fast. Those muscles can do what they're supposed to do. Your your brain might be a different thing. You need to, you know because it's it's relying on your liver and your you know your body fat to produce ketones. But the actual muscle can do what it's supposed to do. It's just your job to make sure you still do it, right? And then now it changes if the event if you're like yeah, but I'm I'm actually going to play a two and a half hour soccer game. Well, that's slightly different, right? But if we're just talking about you know an, an hour of, of hard training with some rest in between, it, you should be able to, to handle that. Wow. This is such a trip, man. I could talk about this stuff for years. Uh, I'm so fat. Yeah, it's really cool. And I'm so fascinated by it. But I also understand that like, like you, you know, I, I've, I've learned that most people just sort of, they, they don't really care that it's want to look and feel good. Yeah. Uh, and so I guess to the people listening who maybe aren't into the nerdy stuff like like this and maybe aren't, you know, athletes, maybe they want to, you know, move more and, and, and stuff, but they just want to feel good. Or they want to not hate themselves. They want to look good on camera. Um, what how would you sum up your approach and what what one sort of thing might you want to leave them with? Do what works. And so it's, you know, it's 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 a really simple concept, but the based on what we talked about with carbon and all that. So just not eating for a brief period of time works, but you have to eat, right? You, everybody knows what happens. And I mean, it's, it's really important for you guys, but there is a very quick look that you get on your face if you're just not eating at all. And we recognize it, right? Mm -hmm. So you do have to eat. Um, you, it, it allows that kind of youthful, non-drawn look in the face. And then food is important. Right back to the autophagy we talked about, if you're constantly breaking down or recycling and you're getting rid of the stuff you don't need, that's cool. But you got to be able to replace that with the stuff you do need, which is built from the food you're eating. 
Mm. Right. So you write down the yin and yang. It can't be all catabolism all the time. So you need to take brief periods of not eating, which is the fast, combine it with periods of eating responsibly, which is the eating. And then you really need to shut the rest of it out. I don't think it's much different than um, sporting events or acting is it's easy to overthink it. And you do your best performance, again, acting or sports, when you're kind of just not thinking and you're just relying on what you've learned works. And if you overthink anything, it, it tends to fall apart on you. And then dieting and taking control of your body is, is no different. Is the minute you try to make it complex, it works for the first brief period of time because you're that interested and invested in it, and then it falls apart, right? Mm -hmm. So better just to constantly be learning and honing your craft, what works with your diet, what works with your body, what doesn't, but then you just do it and you it's okay to be a hobbyist, it's okay to read about all the different diet and exercise and program, but just realize if you jump around constantly, you're just full of information with no practical applicability, right? So just focus on what works and just sort of stick with that and, and let it do what it's supposed to do. You know what you need to do, right? There's the the stuff that's not sexy, the mundane consistency, mundane dis discipline, eating responsibly, you know, having cake, just not having a cake, right? And <laughs> we're working out, but knowing that like, it, there's a much better approach is just working out consistently for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks than letting your body go to hell, getting a roll, getting a photo shoot, whatever, and going, okay, for the next 12 weeks, it's like, I'm going to work out for eight hours a day, right? Because generally that ends poorly, right? So it's just that mundane consistency, that mundane discipline. It's, I mean, all the magic happens in that realm of mundane, right? And, and the promise of magic outside of that, the exciting stuff is really just smoke and mirrors. It really is. I mean, even fasting, as sexy as it sounds, I'm literally just telling you not to eat for 24 hours. It's, it's pretty <laughs> fucking mundane. I just swore. But yeah, it's, it's not that, it's not sexy, right? But it works really well. And that's what, that's why it's been around. I mean, if, you know, if, if you want any sort of proof of evidence in that regard, I've been a one hit wonder for a decade. Like I wrote about fasting in 06 and I'm still talking about it now and whatever it is, right? So, it, it has that staying power that makes it worth investigating. Yeah. So, so if someone's listening to this and they're like, okay, Brad, I'm totally sold. I'm ready to do my first 24 hour fast or, or I'm going to commit to two, two times a week because I want to lose some weight. Uh, but 24 hours seems like a pretty brutal, uh, stretch. Uh, what, what would be your, your tip for, for easing into this, uh, this lifestyle? Uh, it's simple. It's 24 ish. <laughs> right? and, and the best part of the, the only caveat I have is whatever, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23 hours, whatever hours it is, I want you to pick it and, and stick with it. So the habit I want you to get into is you tell yourself you're not eating for 22 hours. When that 22 hours is up, you eat, right? Because you're in control. What I don't want people getting into the habit of is fasting for as long as they possibly can, then breaking and eating repeat fast for as long as you can then break and eat because i don't mm. want the break i want the control the thing i hate about dieting traditional dieting is this long slow inevitable march to failure you just can't do it forever right so you're gonna you're gonna mess up and then you reinforce with negative reinforcement that you're a mess up and you're on your next diet you're probably gonna mess up again and again and then you're gonna get stricter which means you're probably gonna mess up 
earlier. And you get even stricter and mess up earlier. With fasting, I like the idea of a positive reinforcement. So once you hit that 21, 23, 24 hour period, you're like, I'm done. I did it. I'm awesome. Like I can do this. Like if you do it once, you're going to have good fast and you're going to have bad fast. But if you can do it once, you can do it again. And if you do it again, you just can do it. Right? That's a much better positive reinforcement because then that allows you all you have to do on the other five 24-hour periods is eat responsibly. You don't even have to diet, right? You just have to eat whatever it is that kind of maintains your body weight and then fast again and then eat responsibly. So you get to eat more than a person who's dieting, but you don't get to eat as much as you want to, which is that middle ground, right? So it doesn't have to be 24 hours to start. I just like 24. It's nice and simple. Um, but whatever time you pick, stick with it. Yeah. And I, I would add, uh, do it on a day when you're busy. Like, oh yeah. Like, like if you've got like appointments and you're running around town, that's a great day to be fasting. Cause if you're just sitting at home thinking about food and how many more hours you have to go, man, good, good luck. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Like on a long road trip, you don't fast, right? As much as you think it makes so much sense to fast, just accept that there's going to be a lot of M&Ms or whatever's going on and just embrace the road trip. You know, stuff like that where you're stuck. But yeah, when you're busy, when you're active or doing stuff or thinking hard, that's a great time. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Bookends. AJ here again, unfortunately, uh, have not been able to hear this part as we record. But uh, Trev, do you have any sort of debriefs for the peoples? I really loved hearing some of Brad's strategies. Uh, a lot of this has to do with just sort of shifting your mindset to a more mature relationship with food, which is far easier said than done. But his strategy, the, the biggest takeaway for me at on this listen i'm sure that i'll hear different things on subsequent listens but the biggest strategy was uh to to really uh build a string of victories so if you're going to fat if you're convinced that fasting is a good thing and you want to try it and you decide i'm going to go for you know the 24 hours here we go uh, he says you know him saying Go for 24 hours and don't go any longer because what he wants is people to avoid is to uh, is to start, you know, pushing their fast as long as they can possibly stand it and then just breaking it and stuffing their faces and then doing it again. <laughs> and then just, you have yeah. this sort of uh, – that's not a healthy relationship with food. So just the, the biggest takeaway was like assign your fast length, do it, and then when it's up, 22 hours, 20 hours, 24 hours, whatever – break it responsibly and then feel good about it that you just did that and then get you know plan your next one and you only have to do this once or twice a week to see some pretty serious health and uh you know weight uh body composition i suppose um results so that mm. was my big takeaway from, from this one epic yeah. yeah uh did you guys by any chance talk about since i haven't heard it sorry have you guys talked about um uh, using like tools like like i know you and i have experimented with like the zero app to kind of help yourself 
um, keep track of things? You know, we didn't, and I, I wish I'd brought that up. There's a lot of things I wish we had chatted about, Brad and I. Uh, so we've, we've you know, bantered uh, a little bit via email. So we may do a round two at some point in the future in some capacity somewhere on the Internet. Uh, so stay tuned for that. But if anybody's curious about, like, a way to track their fasts, you've probably heard us talk about this app that Kevin Rose built uh, we talked about this month, many months ago, maybe even years ago at this point, but uh, it's an app called Zero, and it's just a simple timer app. It, it just gives you a great way to sort of track how long you've been fasting and see your, your fasting history. And I think, AJ, right now you are doing, uh, are you still practicing intermittent fasting? Uh, I haven't been recently, um, but by recently, I only mean the last like maybe few weeks. Um, so I am definitely planning on starting again um, here shortly. I did it for a few months, stopped, came back for another like month or two, and I'm now stopped again. So I've been doing it on off and on for about, mm, I guess it's like eight, six to eight months now. Um, and I love it. I, I really have enjoyed the, uh, the, the, all the benefits from it. And there are days when I do it sort of, um, uh, without even realizing it at first. And then I'm like about to eat something and I'm like, wait a second, it's actually been, you know, uh, whatever, 10, 11 hours since I last, you know, uh, or like 12 hours since I last ate, I should, I should, you know, drink some water, um, you know, get in relationship with my sort of hunger, um, uh, thoughts because, you know, hunger feelings, because it's not always, you know, true. Our brains are just kind of can be addicted to food and then, you know, and then try to stave that off. So every once in a while I'll do it without actually measuring it in the app. Um, but when I do it consistently, I'm doing it, um, six days a week, um, for between 16 to 18 hours, typically on average, sometimes I'll go 19 to 20. Wow. Wow. Okay. Rock on. Cool. Cool. Yeah, I like the Zero app. It, it's not necessarily built for uh, the kind of fasting that, that Brad advocates, which is which is uh, once or twice a week you go for 24 hours. But you can still do, you know, you can still try and get between 12 and 13 hours between dinner and breakfast or dinner and lunch um, if you'd like. And so that's sort of what I tend to do uh, with that app. I'll just set it for 13 hours and then aim to do at least 13 hours every day, uh, minus the one or two days a week where I'll go for a full 24 hours. But like you, I've really noticed some positive things. It's, it's funny that I've become, uh, uh, that I've began, I've begun to look forward to being cold and hungry. (laughs) You say cold and hungry? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we talk about this in this aspect of the interview, but part of what happens when your body sort of switches to the fat burning metabolism mode uh is that uh you get cold your body gets cold it's redirecting its energy and to uh what they i think it's called apoptosis or apoptosis or something like like that don't quote me on that but uh essentially it's it's just freeing the energy from the fat cells and it requires um pulling the blood from your extremities in order to do that and so you get cold that's really interesting have you not experienced that Um, no, not, I mean, look, I probably just haven't paid attention to it. Like I have, it, it, it probably has been happening and I wasn't drawing the, um, correlation because I'm dumb. Um, but I was just thinking, oh, (laughs) it's fine. A little self-deprecation never hurt me. Um, never hurt nobody but me. Um, 
I I've been watching uh, as you know I'm obsessed with you know backcountry backpacking right now that's like my my main thing and um I've seen in the last few weeks I've seen several of these hikers talk about eating before they go to bed like like eating something before they get into their tent at the end of the night because it helps to keep them warm and I was like oh because you know their metabolism is going I was like Oh yeah, that that's interesting. So I feel like this is this is all well and good as long as you are living in, you know, uh, I don't know, relative comfort. Like you can warm yourself up, put a jacket on, that kind of thing, gloves. <clears throat> if if you're in sort of extreme conditions, it might not be the best the best idea. Yeah, could become hypothermic. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. It it can. Yeah. Exactly. This is definitely a very privileged conversation we are we are having around. You know, not eating. We have that choice uh, rather than uh, being forced into it. You know, due to you know other circumstances. So, um, yeah. I feel like I feel like maybe that that would be an easy critique of the intermittent fasting movement is for people to just you know poo poo it entirely because they're like, well, that's like you know what a privileged place to be that you can choose not to eat. It's like, but yeah, also people choose to, you know, eat healthily, um, which not everyone can do. And people choose to go to the gym, which not everyone can do. So, um, yeah, I would hate for anyone to be turned off to a possibility for improving their health just because they think, anyway, I'm going down some weird political rabbit hole that I'm going to, stop and then cover up and hope no one noticed or trips and falls in it. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to uh, picks of the week then. What is your pick of the week? Oh, thank God. Good save, bro. Um, <laughs> so admittedly, I completely stole this from Jasmine and I actually don't even um, enjoy it that much, but I'm sharing it with people because I was, I was inspired. I read your newsletter, which by the way, I almost made your newsletter as my pick of the week. I thought that would be too self-serving. Um, oh, appreciate that. Trevor has an awesome newsletter. You should all go sign up for it. But anyway, I was reading your latest one um, about uh, adrenal fatigue and caffeine and, and whatnot. And I was like, huh, what interesting timing. Because in addition to inter intermittent fasting, <clears throat> one of the other things that I think is important is having coffee-free days. Uh, and I do mean days plural. So like at least once – um, or twice a week, and then sometimes in multiple day, you know, stints, um, so, you know, see if you're, you know, check, check your addiction, like check your addiction to caffeine. Um, and one of the ways that Jasmine has been doing it lately, and I tried it and I just wasn't the biggest fan. Um, I, I, there's some teas that I think I would prefer, um, over this, but she found this, um, this herbal blend called dandy blend. It's literally called Dandy Blend at dandyblend.com. Um, and it's just this combination of um, uh, chicory root and dandelion root and, and sugar beets and stuff, uh, you know, non-GMO. Um, dissolves really quickly in water. You can drink it cold or um, or hot. So like iced tea or coffee, basically. Um, and it's got you know, there's no bitterness to it, but it does have a sort of like smoky coffee uh, flavor. So if you need some help on your caffeine-free days, your, or sorry, your your coffee-free days uh, slash caffeine-free days, uh, give it a shot. I thought it might be useful for people because I didn't want to get on a soapbox and be like, 
you shouldn't drink coffee every day. You know, you might be an addict uh, without giving somebody, without giving people some kind of um, alternative. So there hmm. it is, Dandelion. Hmm. Yeah, I'm looking at the website here. This is really interesting. I, I'm so curious to hear about your caffeine-free days. This is another conversation for another time, but um, I'd love to chat with you about that offline or maybe in the next episode um, because this has been a huge uh, issue in my life recently. I've just sort of realized the damage I was doing by, frankly, abusing caffeine. And uh, this looks like a really great sort of um, uh, alternative I, I do tea as well. I, I still do tea. I do like green tea, but um, just one cup a day at the very most. And uh, this looks like a great thing that might be a nice sort of comfort in in the transition to caffeine, low caffeine lifestyle. Uh, you should try it. I think you would like it, Trev. Cool. All right, dandy blend. I'm gonna I'm gonna give this a shot. Right on. <laughs> Come over. I'll make you a cup right now. <laughs> All right. Don't ask me twice. Right on, man. Cool. Dandyblend.com. Yes. What is your pick of the week? So Helena uh, of Miz in the Biz fame sent this to me uh, a week or two ago. It's a documentary called California Typewriter, and you can watch it on Amazon Prime right now for free. You can stream it. And I loved it so much I watched it twice. It is a movie about typewriters, essentially, on the surface. It's a movie about the sort of dying typewriter industry and all the sort of fanatics that, that are in that world. But beyond that, sort of wrapped inside that, is a movie about the creative process, about your relationship to the tactile world, uh, your tactile relationship to the tactile world. It's, it's really a beautifully done and fun and quirky uh, movie with some you know, interesting celebrity appearances. John Mayer is in it. Uh, Tom Hanks is in it. Um, I've it's always just, known about Tom Hanks' uh, typewriter obsession. It, it does not surprise me that he's in this. Oh, it's great. It's great, too. He, he's so shameless about it. But it's a really fun movie. I, I really, really, really enjoyed it. So if you're looking for a great movie about the artistic creative process that's also about the sort of, I don't know, fun world of typewriters, um, check it out. Je Helena actually, like, after she sent it to me, she's like, I'm going to get a typewriter right now. And, like, a week <laughs> later, she sent me a picture. She's like, this is the typewriter I found. Uh, I'm going to get this one. I'm going to, she has all these ideas for making um, poetry books and things like, but, but, you know, analog style, which I think that is something that we can all use a little bit more of in our digital lives these days. There's something about uh, the, the tactile feedback of a physical object uh, that's, you know, immediate uh, and very gratifying when we live in a world of everything being on screens so check it out, California Typewriter. And if you are looking for some good companion movies, I think two movies that would really go well with this, uh, if, as if this were a wine, um, I think two movies <laughs> would go well is Finding Vivian Mayer by, uh, well, by, you've seen that movie. We've talked about that movie before uh, on yeah, this I think it was, show. I think it was one of my picks of the week, actually. Yeah, yeah. I think I made the pick as well. I really enjoyed that film. And then uh, also uh, Exit Through the Gift Shop is another great film mm. about art. Mm. So yeah. those three these three movies together I feel like make a nice, uh, um, I don't know, meditation on creativity and uh, our relationship to art, which is kind of an amorphous thing when you think about it. Like what is art? It's really up to the, the eye of the beholder. So check it out, CaliforniaTypewriterMovie.com. I'm really excited. I am going to watch that. It's great. Potentially this afternoon. Cool. I'd love to hear what you think, man. It's great. Awesome. So that's uh, my pick of the week, stolen from Jasmine. Uh, she'll be none the wiser until she listens to this episode. Dandy Blend, 
can find them at dandyblend.com. And then Trevor's pick of the week, California Typewriter, a documentary, go figure, about typewriters. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anything else uh, before we head out of here, brother? That's it, man. Let's do it. All right. Today's episode of Inside Acting was produced and hosted by yours truly, AJ Meyer and Trevor Algett. Team IAP also includes Jen Levin and Grace Gordon. Visit us online at insideacting.net and sign up for our weekly email dispatch to listen to, well, to get our email dispatch. And then also at our website, wow, I should fix this, you can listen to all of our episodes. (laughs) Uh, Hey, we're also on social media. Grace is doing a bang-up job uh, with our Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, so check us out there. And you can find the podcast pretty much wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, YouTube you search for it you will find it we hope we we (laughs) hope yes uh we're inside acting without the exclamation point you'll understand if you google uh you can directly support the continued production of inside acting with either a one-time financial contribution or an ongoing monthly contribution just visit us at insideacting.net to learn more help us you know keep the uh keep the lights on as long as As long as you like, I guess, is the way to put that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, nice save. Uh, That's it for episode 307, guys. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, go slow to go fast.